0: We, we got onto this, this ferry it was a flatbed ferry. They allowed us to open our roof tent. They plugged us into the, to the generator. And for three days, we just cruised down the Amazon river and down along the tributaries. And, and, and that was mind blowing to me to, to actually lie in my roof tent, which I'd bought in South Africa and to lie there at the window and just watch the trees, the jungle go by to see the little villages and stuff and to sit around and, and, and just watch it all. And you just, be on that Amazon River, to me, that was mind-blowing. That was the best three days of my life.
1: This is the Adventure Sports Podcast, brought to you by 180TAC. Get out there and have some fun.
2: Episode 183, Overlanding Full-Time as a Family of Four with Louisa and Graham Bell. This episode of the Adventure Sports Podcast is sponsored by BiotropicLabs.com, custom formulators and sports performance supplements for active people like you. Designed for everyone from weekend warriors and outdoor enthusiasts to high-level athletes, if your body moves, you need Biotropic. Just a quick word of warning to the parents out there, normally we keep this show clean and this episode is, but there is some mild adult content brought up in this episode. So I just wanted to give you a heads up in case you haven't had that conversation with your little one, you might want to preview the episode before letting them listen to it. Now on to the show. Hi, welcome back to another episode of the Adventure Sports Podcast. This is your host, Travis. Louisa and Graham Bell toured the African continent with their kids, Keelan and Jessica, a few years ago. When they got back to their home in South Africa, it didn't take long for the family to realize that they needed to explore more. So they put everything on hold, purchased a Land Rover Defender 130, and outfitted it as an overlander so they could travel and live out of it full time. Now that they've been around Africa a couple times and all the way up to Alaska, I finally caught up with the Bells in Baja, Mexico, where they're relaxing a bit while doing some house-sitting. Hey, Travis. How you doing? Hi, Travis doing great thanks so we caught up with you in mexico we were just talking about the heat down there but it's got to be kind of nice to get off the road for a little bit
0: yeah it is um you know when you're on the road you get into a routine and you get used to it and then you know we live in a tent in a roof tent all four of us Uh, and uh you know you you get used to that but uh when you get back in a house you kind of go hey look at this indoor plumbing (laughs) <laughs> uh, hey, look, I can have my own personal space. I can make toast, uh, or, or just boil a kettle with me, like without, um, without having to take everything out the side of the Land Rover first. So it, the convenience is wonderful, but at the same time, it gets super boring super quick. Yeah. Uh, it,
2: well, that's so let's talk about the conveniences. I mean, in my intro, I, I mentioned that you guys decided to do a little bit of touring around Africa, and you had just planned to set out for a little while and go back. And once you realized you were back, obviously you got back to your conveniences, but you guys as a family, if I understand it right, just kinda realized altogether that what you were really doing out living uh on the road, uh, as overlanders was really where you wanted to be. So you chose to leave the conveniences and go back out. So tell me how that all came about, um and how you really launched into this major expedition that you're on now.
3: Well,
0: you know, we we ran our own business uh back in South Africa. We had a wonderful home and uh, a rented home we've never owned and um uh, we we were burning the candle at both ends you know like everyone does we thought we needed all the fancy stuff and the volvos and the extra TVs and the three playstations and the and the list goes on and um, you know you'd get in the land rover and you'd hit the road and you'd, you'd you'd point it off at mozambique or malawi or wherever and you didn't have all that stuff that cramming in your mind. You had the road, you had the Land Rover, and you had your your family chatting and laughing and singing to Bar um and that that really was just the. Uh, there was such clarity in that, the, the the peace of mind of of having massive responsibility of you know traveling with your family over land, but at the same time being liberated from all of the crap that that ties you down to a um, you know uh, the modern wage slave kind of lifestyle. Uh, for me, that, that was really it. Just when we came back, we drove from in 2010, we drove up to Tanzania from Cape Town up to Doris es Salaam and then back down again. It was about six months trying to run the business at the same time. But it, it, uh, it was difficult because we were trying to run the business. We got back home and it was, Oh, great. We're back home. And look at this as a supermarket. And, and we could go and buy clothing and, and do all that stuff that for six months we weren't able to do up in Africa. Um, well, we were still in Africa, but I think you know what I mean. Uh, but then getting back in, you get into this routine, and then, man, it doesn't take long. It took two, three, two, three days, and we were missing the road. Um,
3: I think it's the freedom of it that, you know, when you're on the road, you still have the responsibility as a parent, you know, but. It's that where you can just go, well, to hell with it. I'm switching off my phone. I don't need to access the internet. I can literally be in the middle of nowhere and I don't give a damn what, you know, I don't care if anyone needs to get hold of me. It's that freedom to say, I'm going. And I think that's what we missed is the fact that we got back and we, you know, we had to get back into it and the kids had to go back to school. And for the kids, the you know, they they enjoyed school as most kids do, but it was a case of where they... they they were put into boxes, and they had to conform to what society said, okay, you need to study this, and you need to be like that. And for us, we realized like, when our kids were on the road, they fought less, they were happier. So We fought less, we were happier. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> for <Yeah>. sure. <laughs> but, you know, I think the main thing is we were pretty much uh, financially independent because we had very, very little debt. Uh, we never owned a home uh we never you know we paid cash for what we for whatever we wanted uh we saved up for it if we needed to and and then and then bought it cash and uh, the not having the debt was what liberated us essentially whether we chose to be overlanders or not just not having that debt was already gave us a massive amount of freedom to be able to make choices of what we wanted to do with our lives and um, I mean, we used to have massive amounts of debt. I had a company that failed, and it took me three years of working every day uh, to finally pay off that debt and get ourselves free and clear. But once we were free and clear, the option was ours. The world was our oyster. Uh, so that was the big part of it for us: is um, doing things differently, finding finding happiness, finding um, finding satisfaction in things that aren't, uh, you know, necessarily purchased with a credit card.
2: Yeah. And what an excellent education for your kids to, to give them that uh, lesson early on in life. It's such a hard thing to teach. And I think many parents grapple with that, you know, people that have been into debt, you know, issues themselves. How do you relay that information to your children? You know, normally they just don't want to hear it, but you guys have found a way to, to get them out there and experience life debt-free, and now that they see what they can actually do with that and have that decision to make uh, in the first place, is probably uh, going to be a huge benefit.
0: Yeah. We indoctrinate them
2: very well. <laughs> <There you are. laughs> Good for you.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, there's a meme going around the internet that said, modern slaves aren't in chains, they're in debt. So we'll discuss something like that with our kids. I mean, I remember going to school, and, and you know, you'd be taught history and geography and science, and economics, but you weren't taught how to open a bank account, how to manage your money, uh, how to not get into debt, how to this, that, and the other. And we made so many mistakes in our 20s and early 30s, uh, which really it took us years to to get through all of that uh, and come out the other side. So we've got that experience that we can teach our children and say, this is what happens when you get a credit card. Yes, you might need a credit card when you're older, but this is what happens when you're in debt. And, uh, we explain to them in no uncertain terms that this is not how they want to be because that's not financial success to us. You might have the cars, the house, the clothing, the, everything that you, you, th- you think you should have to appear successful. But if you've got one dollar in the bank and the guy next door has got all this stuff, but he's 10, a million dollars in debt, you're richer than he is.
2: Yeah. No doubt about that. I can't agree more. Okay. So let's talk about the the setup. You guys decided to choose a Land Rover 130. Um, this is a, you know, I actually didn't even know about the 130 until I was researching you guys. So it's a, a longer version of the 110, but it's more of a, a pickup chassis, or I should say pickup body with uh, with four doors. And you guys outfitted this to be your Overlander vehicle. So Go into a little bit of uh, how you set this thing up and describe it for the listeners so they, they can imagine what it is you guys are living out of as a family of four each day.
0: Okay. So essentially, yes, it's a, it's a double cab pickup. It's got a load rating. Um, it, it only weighs 2,086 kilograms. I'm sorry. I don't know what that is in pounds, um, which for a, a pretty large pickup is, is is very light because the bottom body is all aluminum. Um uh, but it can also, it's got a payload of 1,500 kilograms, which is quite a lot. So for us, it was a perfect base vehicle. The kids were a lot smaller back then, uh, which 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 made it perfect for us. So we had the, the, the seating for four, and we could carry all the crap that Louisa thinks she needs in her life. <laughs> uh, <coughs> I'm going to get smacked for that one. <coughs> Excuse me. So um, essentially, I, I decided to... To, to kit it out all myself, I did a little bit of woodwork uh, when I was in school and I did okay, so I thought, you know, I can tackle this. And um, so essentially what we did is we popped a, a, a rooftop tent on the top. We got the biggest one we could find. When 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 flipped open, it stays on the roof, obviously, and it's 2.4 meters by 2.4 meters. Um, so it's pretty big, uh, large enough for the four of us to sleep in. It also has an annex, a tent that zips along the bottom, which gives you a bit of extra space. Uh, and uh, protection from the elements. Then at the rear, we had an aluminium canopy uh, put onto the load area. And in there, I built a drawer system for two fridges. And then on the other side, it has six of those black wolf packs. Uh, and then on top of that, I made a, uh, a load uh, base. And on top of that, I had another six big plastic crates with all of our clothing, homeschooling, computer stuff, surf gear, you name it uh on the on the outside you have two uh three flaps on the on, on the aluminum canopy the one gives you access to the rear the one gives you access to the side uh where I, which i blocked off and created a little kitchen area with frying pans and cups and sauces and knives and forks all the stuff you need for a kitchen and then on the other side of the canopy there we would store in a in a storage hatch that i made you can store oils um recovery. Recovery gear, extra beer, um, <laughs> shoes, and whatever else that can fit in there. Um, we had jerry cans on the roof, uh, a bull bar in the front with a winch, nine thousand five hundred pounds, and we and kept it pretty much simple. We had a uh, raised air intake for deep water uh, traveling. This, this we set up in the African way, because uh, unless you're living in in Florida or the southern USA. You're probably going to have weather where half the year it's not great to be going out in a, uh, in a roof tent, um, and so for the southern hemisphere it was a very good setup for us. So essentially, we're, we we live outside, but we have the tent space that we go into to sleep and relax. But yeah, we've pretty much been outside for the last four and a half years. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. you'd have to be, wouldn't you? Yeah.
2: Yeah.
0: You should see our skin and look. We look like we're in our eighties. Not
2: you, mother. <laughs> She looks like she's in the twenties, of course, but, I'm yeah. waiting for the slap. <laughs> yeah, no, no, it's coming. It's coming, mate.
3: Don't worry. He's folding up.
2: <laughs> so how do you deal with uh living in such a, a tight space? I mean, this we're talking a little bit less than eight foot by eight foot, and that's uh that yeah. makes a mighty tiny apartment. Obviously, like you said, you spend a lot of time outdoors. Um, but how is the the family handling it? You guys have been on the road for quite a while and you're still together. That's a good sign. <laughs>
3: Well, Graham and I, um, you know, we had our own business. So we've been working together with each other for about 10 years. So we were pretty, you know, with 20, with each other almost 24 hours a day before that anyway.
0: Sitting next to each other. Yeah.
3: So, and then, you know, the kids were pretty small then. And, you know, it wasn't an issue. Now my son's, he's actually turning 17 next week and my daughter's 11. So obviously there's that element where, you know, he's at that time, the teenage years. Um, so that does get difficult because of the close proximity that he's with when he's sitting next to his sister. But our kids are pretty lovable. <laughs> so they do, they, they love the attention. So I don't think for them it's an issue when we get into a house like this and we do a house sitting stint, even if it's for, for two weeks, they love it because they can actually then say, okay, well, this is my room. This is my area. And they get that time apart. But once they're in the Land Rover, they best the buddies again because they realize. Us. there's no one else on the road you know the only kids that they meet are the people that we you know friends that we make uh, that we find along the way or you know campsites that we go to so they realize that they have to be friends with each other they don't have much of a choice
0: we've become like an old age not old age what's the word like a like a historic nomadic family where we're completely dependent almost on each other right. everyone's got their own role within the family. Um, we we're you know we're a unit we're a tight unit sometimes we're not so tight you know I mean that's the problem with being so close to someone for such a long time eventually you get used to it and you you don't even think about it anymore uh, for some people I, I can imagine it could be very difficult we 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 know like a woman in South Africa before we left uh, and she said to me you're going to be going for so long with your children I said yeah she goes. I can't imagine spending a day with my child that close ever mind. <laughs> and then she blushed and she felt terrible for saying it. Uh, but I think for a lot of people, it's like you know, I'm really happy when my kid goes to sleep at night. I love them so much, but they're much better when they're when they're sleeping. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of personality. Obviously, there's a lot of you know to and fro, and and people who see us in our natural environment tend to think we're a little bit crazy, but. We depend on each other. We rely on each other, and we're a tight unit.
2: Yeah, I think it probably there's some element of maybe certain people can't pull this off, but I think it's probably more so that how you guys go about it and how your relationship with your your kids and the the whole family unit together makes this uh, the way it yeah. the way it is. you guys sound like you have a lot of fun with each other. You obviously crack a lot of jokes and and joke around and probably blow off steam that way. So. Uh, teaching the kids, you know, about how to live in close quarters with with family like that is a is a huge thing, and the the relationship that they're going to come out of with it, you know, when they get older and you guys are off the road, is probably uh, invaluable. Yeah,
0: that's 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 part of it. Let's wait and see. I mean, um, you never know. The accountant's son becomes a hippie, and the hippie son becomes an accountant. But if you have to ask my children, uh, we've we've had it before on social media where I've actually just said. Hey, you know, if you guys want to ask any question you want, ask my kids and they'll answer. And that's what they did. And the kids answered honestly with no pressure. I wasn't even in the room. And they typed their answers to all the questions. This is on Facebook, on our Facebook page. And people were asking, Oh, do you know, do you like traveling? Wouldn't you rather be doing something else? And the kids were coming back saying, No, they love traveling. They wouldn't rather be doing anything else. So, you know, they're not just passengers. They're, they're in, you know, right. they're, they're, they're part of the team. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Definitely. So wow. let's we'll see what happens. I mean, my son has been told, sorry, my son has been told, you know, uh, he's 17, so he's going to be 18 soon. It's, you know, we almost lost him to a beautiful girl in uh, Argentina when he was 15. <laughs> he said, oh, well, I said, I'm leaving. I'm going with her. And I'm like, yeah, right, whatever. But, you know, it's his choice when he gets older. If he wants to stay with us, then he's got to, you know, help out a bit more. He's got to be more active with with the hard work, Um, with the the – mechanical work working around the camp. He, he can't be a little kid anymore. Uh, but if he wants to carry on traveling with us for the next 20 years, he's welcome to do it as long as he's pr- contributing. Right. And the same goes to my daughter. So we know not in no rush to get rid of our children by right? any stretch. <laughs> um,
2: That's yeah. awesome. That's awesome. So let's talk about where you guys have been. Like I said, you kind of made a couple of laps around Africa and then, uh, headed north. So where have you taken this beast?
0: Mm. Um, 20, 2009, yeah, okay. We used to do a whole bunch of camping with her and stuff. We had a bunch of Land Rovers before. About 2010, we drove, it was 20, 30,000 kilometers. That's what, like 15, 16,000 miles from Cape Town up to Dar es Salaam through Mozambique, Malawi, uh, Tanzania, then back down, uh, Malawi, Zambia, uh, Botswana a little bit, Namibia, then back into South Africa. And then when we were talking earlier about the addiction, you know, then we realized we were kind of screwed because we didn't want anything to do anything else with ourselves. So every chance we got, we'd head back to Mozambique or Malawi, which was hard work. You know, it wasn't a typical vacation, but that's not what we were after. And then eventually uh, in 2012, uh, we put the Land Rover in a container, shipped it to Uruguay, and then we were supposed to head down to Ushuaia, which is as far south as you can go uh, on the planet by a road. And instead we decided, look, we, we, we need to head up to Rio because, you know, you can't go to South America and not go to Rio. And before we knew it, we were almost past the equator, right the way up in northern Brazil. Uh, then we rushed kind of down and looped back around through Uruguay and Argentina. Eventually, went back to Brazil, then back down, made it all the way down to Ushuaia, then up along the coast, uh, Chile, Peru, Ecuador, Colombia. And Colombia, we were supposed to ship over to Panama and head up to Alaska. But we we weren't done with South America, and I don't think South America was done with us quite yet. We hadn't spent much time in the Amazon, um, and we we had fallen in love with Brazil, actually the whole continent. So we thought, no, we're not leaving yet. We uh, put some big mud tires on the on the landing because we planned to go uh, a route through the Amazon, through Venezuela, then through the Amazon, back into northern Brazil. Uh, and we did that. We went Venezuela, back into northern Brazil, then cut across to British Guiana, Suriname, French Guiana, then across from French Guiana into Brazil, took a ferry for three days with the Land Rover on the on the Amazon River to Belém and then eventually landed up where we'd left off the last time we'd been in northern Brazil. So essentially we circumnavigated the entire South American continent. And this took us just over two years,
1: mm. or just under two years. Under
0: two years. Yeah. yeah. And then from Brazil we went back down to <laughs> Uruguay, Argentina, up to Bolivia, Peru, Ecuador, Colombia, uh, and then across to Panama on a ferry. Luckily, there was the one ferry running. And then through every single country in Central America except for El Salvador, Mexico, then to the U.S. Uh, and wow, the U.S. is amazing. Through up to Alaska, back down, and then around the West Coast a whole bunch, and now we're in Baja. So, yeah.
2: Man, that is a lot of miles. I saw that. I think the last report I saw that you guys had 315,000 kilometers on the thing, which is almost 200,000 miles on the vehicle. That's, uh, that's a lot of driving. Yeah, that's, right.
0: that's a lot of fuel. That's a lot of driving. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think from, from Uruguay to Alaska and back down, I think we've done just 100,000 miles, something like that. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So it's crazy. True. Yeah. It's, it's far. I mean, we could have driven around the whole planet. Um, in in the, the distance that we drove just from, um, Uruguay around South America and up to Alaska and back down. We could have done the whole world tour
2: okay. by now. No doubt. No doubt.
1: Biotropic is a biological sports performance booster supplement created by Craig Dinkel, an Olympic trials athlete to help him train at higher levels more efficiently in order to gain a competitive edge.
2: All natural and safe, Biotropic packs your body with the highest grade quality of the B-Sweet vitamins, offers blood support, higher oxygen carrying capabilities, an ATP booster, and vasodilation, which delivers more healthy blood content to hardworking muscles. Craig has the credentials to back it up. He twice qualified for the Olympic trials, set four NCAA records, and earned 23 All-Americans. Today, he uses Biotropics to help him train in the gym, scramble up mountains, and to prepare for a six-month through-hike of the Continental Divide Trail.
1: Athletes and exercise enthusiasts, check out Biotropic at BiotropicLabs.com, where our listeners can get a deep discount by using the code ADVENTURE.
2: Have you heard of the PsyOI Iris 4G action camera? It's Adventure Sports' first always-connected camera using mobile 4G LTE networks. Push a single button and you kick off a live stream to your friends, family, and fans so they can join you on your crazy adventures. See for yourself how it works. Visit live.sioi.com and sign up for free. Follow some of their professional mountain bikers, skim boarders, motocross riders, and of course adventurers, and join in on the fun as it happens. That's liv dot, dot com. Well, what would you say, Louisa, is the most surprising thing that you've learned being on the road and living like this that you never would have expected?
3: Uh, I, sure. Uh, there's quite a few things. I I think it's the, the fact that I'm not as concerned about um, my future. I know that sounds terrible, but I'm not. <laughs> I used to be very um, uh, meticulous and... Uptight. Uptight and stressed about, you know, I had to have, uh, you know, that amount of money in my bank or I had to have this done or I had to have that. I'm a great list maker. And I I tend to not do that anymore, which is um, good and bad. But I think I've just let myself rely on Graham a lot more, so I'm not that uh, authoritative, you know. I'm not, you know, I don't want to be the boss. (laughs) Right. And uh, I think it's just you know I, I rely on other people a lot more now as well, which I think I, I think as a person you grow a lot more on the road, and you just learn to let go of a lot of things that you had issues with before. So I think it's a it's a it's a good lesson for people to realise that people are good people. There are fantastic people out there, and you don't really have to. Um, you know, worry about getting on the road and about your kids or about food or the petrol money or whatever. You know, we've been broke on several occasions and we've always managed to make it work, which, you know, for me was the, my biggest fear was, you know, running out of money. You know, this
0: is the thing. We both uh, grew up in apartheid South Africa and we both had um middle class, working class upbringings, um, both children of divorces and... Both of us have seen some pretty hard times uh, where, you know, there's very little opportunity. So for us to be broke isn't as big a deal as it is for many people because we know we've got potential and we know that we'll we'll be okay. And also, I mean, things like breaking down in, in Peru at 16,000 feet and you're in the middle of nowhere and the sun's setting and there's ice all over and you're thinking, oh, my God, this could be potentially deadly, you know. Once you've been through that, I think it gives yeah. life a bit more perspective. And I think I've seen Louisa change. Is Yeah, she was, she was the boss, man. She was back home. That was it. She would give me my list every morning and I'd have to jump and run. And she was a nightmare. But she was a wonderful <laughs> nightmare and she was great. It's and, you know, and when we started traveling, she was always like a little bit paranoid that I'm just trying to take the power. And she had some weird... Control issues, but she doesn't really have that anymore, you know. Um, she knows she's the boss.
2: Uh, <laughs> I, still, I still do what I'm told. <laughs> so she lets you use the pants every once in a while in the family.
0: <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. I'm the admiral, dude. I still wear the pants because she's the boss. <laughs>
2: it's,
0: it's, it's levels of responsibility. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> Well, and I, I think what my point is, if, if the shit hits the fan, I the buck stops with me. Mm. If if the wheels come off and it all goes screwed up and upside down, I am responsible, and I've proven to Louisa that I can be responsible. And I think that's, I think
2: maybe given you know, mm.
0: a bit of peace of mind. Maybe. I
3: don't know. Mm, no, absolutely.
2: It was a great answer. I know I put you on the spot asking it, but <laughs> the. You know, the hardest thing to do sometimes when you're embarking on any kind of adventure is to let go, you know, and you have most people do have those concerns. Like you said, Louisa, you know, what what is my future? Oh, I'm going to leave my job. Well, what am I going to do after that? You know, I, I can't possibly leave my job to go out on this adventure, or this expedition. And the fact that you were able to. Let go and realize that you can get out there and deal with things as they come and not sweat what is in, the, in your future is, uh, man, that's a huge learning lesson and probably one that everybody needs to go through.
3: Yeah, no, absolutely right. It's a lot easier than people think and also very difficult <laughs> at the end of the day. But I suppose
0: it's like giving birth.
3: <laughs> yeah,
0: I would know all right, I know these things. Uh, of course, you do. You got to put out a watermelon, and you you know you must be petrified. You know you got to give birth to this thing, but then when it's out, there's the baby. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, was that a good analogy? That was, uh, a great metaphor? Thank you very much. It was like giving birth. But yeah, leaving home. I mean, I don't want to keep hijacking, but uh, leaving home. Just you know, all those things that you thought that you you're supposed to have. You're supposed to have two, three cars. You're supposed to have the flat screens and the, the, the great clothing and the Italian shoes and the the, the insurance policies and the, the private schools and all that crap. Um, and unraveling yourself from all of that takes it, – it's so stressful. You don't sleep. We didn't sleep for two years, you know, from for like a year and a half. Once we made the decision to actually do this full-time or at least do the Argentina to Alaska journey, we weren't sleeping. We were fighting. We were drinking too much wine. Uh, you know, we had – It was not easy at all, Um, massive amounts of stress. But then we got over and we we started traveling and the sky didn't fall on our heads and we started relaxing and we were spending way less money than we did at home because we were living hand-to-mouth and living very simply. And then the stress just generally kind of just dropped off.
3: Yeah, and something that was meant to be a year and a half of a trip has now been, what, four uh, years? Yeah, over four years now, so... uh, can't
2: be that bad, right? Yeah, right. Well, that brings <laughs> the the question up. Um, a lot of people, you know, that who might think about doing something like this. I think that's the first concern, and and I've had that concern myself. We we talked about going and living on a travel trailer. Um, yeah. And one of the concerns is how is the family dynamic going to exist, change, morph? Um, I like you said, or like Graham said, there's some point where it finally set in, but you, it took you guys a while to get to that point. So, what would be some advice for people who wanted to uh, to do something like this with their family? What what's some advice that uh, might help them over that hump and get them through it? Well, first,
0: start small. Mm. Uh, don't don't you know don't don't sell the ranch. Don't don't go jump into a you know uh, a decision like oh let's get a motorhome and drive around America or something. Start small, man. Yeah. Uh, you know, get a little pickup or whatever. Throw a tent on the top or even just ground tents. Go off for a weekend. Keep it simple. Don't buy all the gear. Keep uh. it simple. Go out. Check the weather. Have fun. Don't try and overdo it the first time out. Have a good time. Come back. Did I enjoy that? Yeah, that was all right. Let's go a little bit longer. We'll go a little bit further. Yeah. And, and, and slowly start building up, uh, into, you know, more of, a, uh, this becoming your, your recreation. Uh, and once, and if the whole family enjoys it and everyone's, you know, uh, getting along and, and, and you've got your systems in place, then you can start investing money in it and investing more time in it. But I think that really is the, um, the, the starting point. Actually, in our, uh, on our, our second book, which is coming out now called Travel the Planet Overland, I've got a whole section called How to
3: Motivate the Significant Other.
0: How to Motivate Your Significant Other. <laughs> and it uses neurolinguistic programming. Sorry. <laughs> neurolinguistic programming, sex and chocolate. Um Interesting. i uh, to pick that here one. Is, dude, you know, this is solid advice, man. You know? Uh guys, it's usually the guys. The guys want to get out and go and do the exploring and stuff. Women are nest builders. I don't want to sound like a chauvinist, but this this is a generalization, it's a stereotype. Um, and so many times on our travels, it was never the woman that came to us and said, man, if only I could get my husband to go camping more. You know, uh, it's always the other way around. <laughs> so, uh, we saw, you know, this is what you got to do is you got to make sure your spouse is happy. Mm. Be a male or female. If this is what you want to do, if you want to go out travel, you want to go climb, you want to go surf, you want to do whatever, you're a family. You've got kids to worry about. You know, it's give and take. Uh, but you, you've got to, you know, help your significant other get into it and start enjoying it and not expecting them to go from zero to a hundred straight away.
2: Yeah. That's probably the best way to ruin that whole situation. Just jump in and, and see what happens. Yeah. Most, most people aren't yeah. going to swim at that point. They're going to give up. It's right. It's <laughs> like,
0: yeah, we're going to the desert for two weeks and uh, you can't bring your hairdryer. And, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> dude you'll come back you'll never go camping again you won't last two weeks you will be last three days
2: she'll be throwing sand on the meat on the fire and yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's sabotage involved just what you're saying absolutely,
0: <laughs> absolutely. so
2: yeah bad. my advice
0: would be take it easy and, and, and really as grow as a family get the kids started as young as possible and
3: yeah.
0: and marry right Gosh, oh, dude Marry right. That's like the easiest thing, right?
3: Yeah, but you don't know when you get married.
0: No, you go women camping,
3: you go camping as, on as your honeymoon. Say, right.
2: Yeah, yeah, it no, no, change yeah. after they got the ring on. Yeah, right?
3: there we
0: go. Uh, <laughs> oh, we could have <laughs> a whole say-
2: other episode on that. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe we should actually, but let's. Uh, I digress. <laughs> Ship advice from the bells. <laughs> Grammy, right. <laughs> graham you and i'll talk later on okay <laughs> i got you man Don't worry about it. all right all right okay so moving on let's talk about the books um two things uh obviously the one question people have is how do you do it all right you guys weren't independently wealthy when you set out you had a little bit of money to start out with but obviously you need to find a way to to work on the road and and bring in income so um i presume that the books are are a piece of that so let's dig into them a little bit. Tell me about the first book and how people can get it. All
0: right, excellent. The first book's called We Will Be Free. It's basically, it's a declaration of independence. Um, it was, it's all those questions that everyone asks. Oh, how did you decide? What is the story? When, um, you know, where have you been? What about the children? What about education? And and tell us about your stories and experiences and breakdowns. It's all of that. So that's, it starts off basically uh, in 2009, when, when Louise's dad was, um, st- still with us and he was a major influence in our life, in our lives. And, and he kind of passed away suddenly. And all he wanted to do was travel. And, and Louisa and I had always had that wanderlust. Um uh, and so, yeah, it's, it's, it's how we, we, we started becoming overlanders and how we went through the transition from normal corporate professionals to dirty, scrungy, um, broke ass overlanders. Um, and it's also the experiences that we have along the way that, you know, remember we grew up in isolated apartheid South Africa. Our cultural experiences were limited to, you know, what was around us and American TV shows, you know, and maybe the, the old British TV show and, you know, we weren't we didn't have this world experience. I mean, I traveled a bit when I was a kid, but I didn't do very well. And Louisa traveled a bit when she was young. But you know, it, we 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 met when we were very young, and we sh- shacked up and started this life, and and we immediately got into what we thought we were supposed to do, which was building the the, the nest. You know, beginning the house and the toys and all that stuff together. Uh, so so we will be free is basically how we broke out of that the th- the psychology behind it as well the philosophy of you know i you only live once what are you going to do with this one life that you have this one life on this planet what are you going to do with it um and for me i i didn't really ever have a choice i was miserable because i knew before i, I was traveling like this i knew that my life is pretty much i was a father and i you know we had a business and there was meaning to my life but it wasn't what is, what I'd imagine my life could be and should be, and if I was lying in the grave one day, um, still thinking, hopefully, because you know, <laughs> you know, uh, you know um, what would I say? What, what would my life have been like? And uh, and also for our children, how do we raise them? Do we allow them to become wage slaves? Uh, it's it's so. This is what the book is all about. So it covers the philosophy, the psychology, and the travel around Africa, around South America, uh, the circumnavigation, and stops in Ecuador. Yes. Last year. Yes. It, yeah, that's where that ends, and it was before we, we set off to get on the, the ferry up to Panama. And the book's been doing pretty well. I mean, I've had some really good reviews. I, don't, I, have, I think I've had one one bad review, and that was by… Uh,
3: some woman had read the Moles and Boons novels, so yeah there you
0: go. There was sex in the book, man. I just don't think there was enough sex. Uh, you live in a tent with two kids. Uh, there's
3: not much of that you know ever. what?
0: That's one thing I can say uh for families who think about traveling and stuff, you gotta have that special little tent for date night. Um, yeah but anyway. So
2: I said but anyway. Yeah. But anyway <laughs> <laughs> moving on. Uh so The book's
0: been doing really well. We're getting it's. I I like to call it a little bit of a cult classic because we're completely self-published, self-financed, self-marketed. So the people are are reading it and, and hearing about it. A lot of it's word word of mouth. And what's very interesting to me is that the the like we we track our sales on Amazon and like Kindle or whatever, and every single month the sales are increasing. It's it's not dipping, and if anything, it's it's getting higher and higher and higher um, as word spreads, and that's that's how I want it to be. I want it to be the kind of book that somebody finishes reading, reading, and and it's honest, and it's and it's inspiring, and they go, hey man, you got to read this, and and they share it out, and that's really where it's kind of going.
2: Well, that's great. I mean, the, the book sounds like it's pure inspiration. And that's our goal on the show to is to inspire people to, to get out there and do something great. So you guys uh, also ran a Kickstarter campaign for your second book. And your second book, um, what is it called? Travel the Planet Overland. And you guys did very well with your Kickstarter campaign. And as I understand it, you're in the process of editing that and getting it out now. So tell me a little bit about that.
3: Yeah. So the Kickstarter, yes, it was fantastic. And we had a great amount of, um, uh, backing on that, which was, uh, you know, it's pretty good. Um, <laughs>
0: it's okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, we 400, percent of our target.
3: Yeah. So, um, yeah, the book is basically a guide on how to do what we do. So
0: it's not, um, it, it, it's, it's not, it's not the, it's okay. It's not the overlanders Bible. You know, mm. there's the Overlanders handbook which was written by Chris Scott. There's other guys who are very um uh, textbook in yes. their approach to giving advice for overlanding and how to prepare vehicles and stuff. I'd like to talk about using sex and um uh chocolates to, you know, uh in, in <laughs> no what's the word <laughs> and propaganda. To indoctrinate your spouse, you know, so it's, it gives you a lot of the factual stuff, but at the same time, I think it's a bit more of a fun read. And the whole idea is that when we started out, we made a lot of mistakes. We wasted a lot of money. We did a lot of the things the wrong way. And now we've been living on the road. And, and I mean, of four years, 80% of that time was in the tent. We don't stay at hotels. We don't stay at hostels. We don't have the budget for that, you know, so we've been, we've gone to far off places where, um, you know, Even it's very rare for white people to go, if I could put it like that, you know, it's, um, pretty, pretty out there. So we've learned a lot from doing that. And that's the whole goal with this book is to take our beautiful photos, um, -hmm. from all over, from Africa, from South America, from the Americas to, to put that all together and something beautiful. You know, I want it to be like, you know, Radiohead in rainbows when that came out. And, uh, you got the, 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 the record in the post and it had this folder and it was, it was just, you don't want to like really listen to the record because it was just too gorgeous. I want something like that where it's just beautiful content. It's great to look at and it's really inspiring. That was really what kind of drove it. And of course, Louise is the, the push behind this. She drives all of this because she started talking about this when we'd been on the road for like a year or something because she's like, oh man, you know, Learning how to make fires, uh, on a daily basis, you know, uh, camping, making meat, making food, finding camping, saving money, dealing with children, uh, educating the children, the different kinds of overlanders you meet on the road, the kind of vehicles we see. There's just so much information that anyone who wants to get into this whole overlanding gig, this is the kind of book that disseminates all that information, really kind of lays it out in a way that it's beautiful, it's inspiring, but it also gives you all the information you need to make an informed decision.
2: Yeah, it looks like you guys have done that. I mean, just looking at your Instagram account, you have uh, amazing pictures and talk about inspiration. I mean, if that's not enough to uh, to get you to go buy the book, I don't know what is cuz you guys are you have a way of capturing what you're doing out there and uh, and truly inspiring people to uh, to maybe get out there and and try something similar. Nothing says you have to pack up a Land Rover 130 and and Dump it all and go live on the road permanently, but maybe maybe try a little taste of it, like you said, dip your toe in the water.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you're into climbing or surfing or, you know what, if, if let's say you've got any of those sports that are a passion for you, make your lifestyle, make your passion part of your lifestyle. So, you know, if you go climbing, half of you know, the thrill is, it's the camping, it's the outdoors, it's actually getting out there and going, it's packing up, it's having the right gear. Uh, you know, if you can make your passion part of your lifestyle then you're winning,
2: right? Yeah, absolutely. There's no doubt about that. So let's tell them where they can go learn more about you guys and where they can find these books.
3: Okay, well we've got a Facebook page which is uh A2A which is A and then the number 2A Expedition. Uh that's the same uh, the website is wwwa 2 com. Uh, the fa- the Instagram account is
0: Graham. That's G R A E M E dot R dot Bell. And uh, I've only had it running for about a year or so, and I've already got quite a few thousand likes. so I'm pretty excited about that. Right. Um, and what else is there? Twitter, we don't really use because it's just with our lifestyles being off, you know, offline so often. It's not. It just doesn't work. For for
3: us. yeah but the book is available the 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 first book we will be free is available by the website uh it, it shows the, the we will be free book there and and, then the, and and on amazon as well and then the travel the planet overland is available for pre order um before it gets published which will be shipped out probably in late august um uh and that can also be purchased via um the website uh, that link will be going up later today today, yeah. okay
0: that yeah. <laughs> no,
2: was a good time
0: and, and yeah, and I really appreciate it if your listeners uh, are interested in what we do and yeah. they can support us that'll be fantastic because our plan is to just travel the entire planet um, and eventually have a library of six or seven books and uh, then buy a ranch in Argentina and drink wine and eat cheese all day <laughs> Sounds like a plan to me.
2: Yeah, that's my plan. That's it. that's all I've
0: got planned. You know, wine and cheese.
2: See, Louisa, uh, you don't need uh, to worry about your future. He's got it all figured out.
3: Yeah, yeah. Well, there we go. No, on a more serious note, if they do have any questions, they can just shoot us a message via Facebook or uh, get in touch with us via the, via the website.
2: Okay.
0: Yeah, the, the books are pretty much our uh, only source of income at the moment. What else do we do to you make do money? Articles? I write articles <laughs> <laughs> for, uh, I forget what I do. I write articles for, uh, Expedition Portal and Adventure Journal. Uh, and I'm hoping to get a few other the good, uh, the, the, the good publishers out, uh, behind me. Uh, so that, that, that's okay for us. And um, I literally, I mean, our expenses are, are pretty low. So, uh, we don't have to do a heck of a lot to, to be comfortable. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I think I I heard that your budget is like sixty six dollars a day for the entire family. Is that right?
0: Yeah, depending. Yeah. I mean, that and that's over in, uh, a year. So that'll yeah. include shipping, flights, ferries, health insurance, emergencies, beer. Um,
3: yeah, I don't know if it includes your beer consumption. doesn't <laughs> include beer? <laughs> it beer.
0: Beer is like 30 dollars of that. Uh, sin is tax. Syntax. Syntax is sin a syntax. Sin, yeah. Uh, but that's, yeah, it's everything. It's our fuel, it's our accommodation, it's you name yeah. it. Um, so,
3: and you can actually we you can get by cheaper. Unfortunately, we, um, we're South Africans, so we like I eat we like to eat meat and drink beer and have yeah. some nice wine. So, we don't. Um, I, I, my theory is, if you're going to be doing this as a you know full time thing, is this is your lifestyle, at least enjoy it while you're doing it, and you don't have to just eat vegan food or, um, you know. <laughs> eat we do try
0: salt. and <laughs> make some good choices when we buy our food, though. You know, yes. We get like grass fed organic meat when we can. Good. We're very responsible. Yeah. Now. And our, our our footprint, what do you call it? our ecological footprint, mm-hmm. is tiny. Yeah. You know. Um, we drive, yeah, we drive a car, but pretty much as someone in Seattle who drives to work and back probably drives as much in a year as we do, if not a bit more.
2: Well, you think of simple product consumption, you know, you guys are not out there buying products because you can't put products in your Land Rover. So, you know, the people, if we're out there buying a ton of products, you might drive a a nice little Prius that gets great fuel economy. But if you order a ton of stuff on the web and, you know, ships have to bring it across the the ocean and UPS has to drop it off your house. Well, you just added to that footprint, didn't you? Yeah.
3: And, and, you know, this is the thing. We buy as much local as we can. Um, so, you know, we don't have the packaging because with all the foodstuffs that, I mean, you got a store in the US and it's, everything's packaged up the yin yang, you know, right. it's it's insane.
2: Yeah.
3: You know, you buy from a local grocer and it is, you know, it's a plastic bag. Yeah.
0: Well, that's easier in the third world or developing yeah. nations. But yeah, that's, that's a big part of it as well is our, our, our impact on the environment is is minuscule um and it it, it'll stay that way yeah yeah so we can have the odd steak without feeling too terrible i think yeah yeah i agree (laughs)
1: Bent Gate Mountaineering, located in Golden, Colorado, has been outfitting backcountry travelers for more than 20 years. The snow is melting and the crags are drying out. Time to break out the hiking boots, rock climbing shoes, and tents. Gear materials and designs are more evolved than ever. From the latest ultralight gear to the tried and true classics, Bent Gate has the premier brands for climbing, hiking, and camping essentials, including Arcteryx, Hilleberg, Nemo, Western Mountaineering, and many more. Need advice on destinations, getting started, or on fine-tuning your quiver of gear? The BentGate staff are all passionate adventurers who can give you the data and advice you need. BentGate is also hosting numerous events and speakers this summer, so please check out their events page at bentgate.com for more information, as well as to see their full product selection.
2: Hey folks, be sure to swing by 180tac.com to check out the 180 stove and the 180 flame camp stoves. These lightweight, compact, multi-fuel stoves are made in the USA and are designed to be fail-proof on your adventure. These stoves offer the flexibility to cook your meal using twigs and sticks found around you or various other fuels like gel fuel, alcohol, charcoal, or even use them as a windbreak and stable cooking surface for remote bottle gas stoves. The ingenious locking tab and slot design ensures your stove is very solid and stable without the use of hinges, rivets, or fasteners that can fail you in the field. Visit 180 TACK.com to find your next camp stove. All right, so how about uh, a little fun with some stories? So all these years that you guys have been doing this, there must be some fun stories about something that was truly one of the best experiences you had and then maybe a story about the time when things didn't go right. Man, put me on the spot. Uh, best.
0: That's so difficult. Best experience. Well, okay, the absolutely the best without doubt for me was um, when... We, we drove into a city called Macapa, which is on the northern banks of the Amazon River. And as we drove into the town, we were in a traffic circle and we just became completely surrounded by these off-road vehicles who were completely covered in mud. And these guys had just managed, managed uh, finished this huge expedition in the Amazon jungle. And our vehicle was also covered in mud because we'd also been driving off-road and that. And we just became part of their group. And they took us off into the swamps. And for five days, we lived on barbecued chicken, steak, and beer and, and nothing else. And we just partied with these guys. And then they organized us um, a ferry to take us for the three days from Macapá to Belém. And Belém is uh, on the coastline of Brazil. And yeah, for three days, man, we, we, we got onto this, this ferry. It was a flatbed ferry. There was only, there only two other vehicles on, 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 there with us. They allowed us to open our roof tent. They plugged us into the, to the generator. And for three days, we just cruised down the Amazon River and wow. down along the tributaries. And, and, and that was mind blowing to me to, to actually lie in my roof tent, which I'd bought in South Africa and to lie there and look at the window and just watch the trees, the jungle go by to see the little villages and stuff and to sit around and, and, and just watch it all. And you just, be on that Amazon River, to me, that was mind-blowing. That was the best three days of my life, other than when I met my beautiful. <laughs> um,
2: oh, he's good at throwing those things in there. I've got to get this book. <laughs> <laughs> She's going to
0: smack me. Still, I'm trying to get out of trouble. So that, for me, that was, that was fantastic. And we saw, uh, you know, the beautiful little things like, um, you know, your old school buses, American school buses? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I can't, I can't remember what it is, but I think it's like ten thousand miles. After ten thousand miles, they have to be sold. I know in Utah, for instance, and there on the on the Amazon River, they take those American school buses, those yellow buses. They convert them into um, to floating um, school buses. School, uh, no, <laughs> school classes.
2: Yeah, uh, really.
0: And true, and and it floats around and it picks. It, it's still a bus because it picks the kids up and takes them back home, but it's a floating schoolroom. And that, to me, was just so interesting. <laughs> huh. All the people that dug out canoes, these little communities set up just on the banks of the river, just, you know, trying to survive in this this harsh environment. That was fantastic to me.
3: Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah.
2: That is cool. Very cool. Well, it sounds like that those three yes. days were worth everything. I mean, just, just to get out there <laughs> and experience those three days, the rest of your adventure could never have existed. You'd probably be just as happy to have experienced that. Yeah. And the That's fact
0: cool. that we drove there with our kids on our own unsupported on our own, no convoy, no nothing um that that was pretty incredible, you know it's humbling you know a lot of people might get a big head and get all egotistical and think they're pretty amazing, but it's really kind of humbling to be in a place like that and uh yeah it, it, and, it and and it puts life in perspective, so that changed my life. those three days on that river changed my life,
2: yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. So how about a time when things went sideways on you?
3: So we were in this little camp in Ecuador and uh, the one morning I woke up and I I was doing some freelance work uh, for the the people that I sold the business to and I checked my emails and I had noticed that all our money had been uh, taken out of our business bank account and uh, I thought it was You know, someone had taken. It was theft or fraud, you know. And I was like, I screamed, "Oh my god, they've taken all our money and everything!" Oh, okay. Phone the bank, sorted out. It turned out my uh, awesome accountant screwed up a few years ago, and he never corrected the mistake. And uh, our receiver of revenue, which is your IRS, uh, took all our money. (laughs) Oh no! (laughs) As your
2: biggest biggest fears came true. Yeah. Exactly all, all of our money. money. We literally
0: had a couple of grand in each of our accounts. <laughs> when I say grand, I don't mean dollars. I mean South African rand. Um, we had our yeah. share account, which yeah, had a little bit of money in it. Yeah. But, yeah, essentially we, they cleaned us up,
3: Like took everything. Booms. So, yeah, that, that took us. That was a huge uh, uh Man, it it was terrible, and for months, you know. Then we had to unfortunately dig into our our shares accounts and our credit cards, which we had had no debt on. Um, it took me three years, but I eventually got the money back, some of the money back. <laughs> but, but yeah, well, that was, that was
0: terrifying because we didn't, you know, you, you're we're in Ecuador, we don't know anyone, and and we don't have money. I mean, you go to the the supermarket, and you know, you you give them the card, the plan, and you you know. I don't know if you've ever had that feeling when you're kind of going, "I hope this goes through." I really, really hope this goes through. Oh, we've all you know, been we twenty years be like, old. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know that feeling. You know, that, you know how embarrassing it is when your card doesn't go through. You know what? That used to be embarrassing for us. Now we just turn around and go, "Oh well, you know what? We're 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 travellers. These things happen." <laughs> but yeah, that was that was the worst. Ecuador, waking up, all our money gone. That sucked. Yeah.
2: Wow. Well, that makes me think, yeah. you know, here I asked a, a family who's been living on the road for, what, probably five years now in, in an uh, overlander and has traveled or traveled thousands and thousands of miles. I ask them what time things went wrong, and you give me a man story. So I can only deduct that the rest of the trip is pretty going pretty well for you guys then. Well a, yeah. No, but what compares yeah. to losing all your money? I mean <laughs> <laughs>
0: You can't go anywhere. You can't go back home. You can't put fuel in the vehicle. You're like, oh, I'm screwed. But you know what? We made a plan. Um but yeah.
3: Yeah, you know the I mean we've never had a touch wood. We haven't had any issues in terms of the people. Um we had one issue in Uruguay there where it was a uh, guy that was a little doped up and he he was looking for trouble, but that was it. We haven't had any anyone try and threaten us? Um, our breakdowns were breakdowns that Graham and I could handle. Um, well, the
0: breakdowns were pretty bad.
3: The breakdowns were pretty bad, but they weren't life threatening, or they weren't. Well, the
0: one was in Peru. Well, actually, no. What are you talking? About? Okay, so <laughs> remember I told you earlier we're in Peru, sixteen thousand feet, um, and the engine just starts. The water starts spewing out of the engine. That was bad. That was it was winter. Sun was going down. Temperature is going to drop to minus whatever. Um, I mean, there were there were massive folds of ice over the rocks. It, it was it was two feet deep. This ice, you know, I don't know what you call that, It's like glacial ice. It was how cold it was, and we were just in a tent. Um, then there was a, a time in Brazil, in the middle of the night, in the middle of nowhere, that a brand new wheel bearing I'd just put in imploded. And we had to work until four in the morning to get back on the road again, but we managed to do it.
3: Yeah, but every single one of those times, at the time in Peru, those guys came to help out, and in Brazil, you managed to fix it. I managed the to only, fix it. No, but the thing is, the IRS thing, it was something that took years to resolve. It wasn't like an immediate fix, you know what I mean? So, okay, we're having a fat discussion.
2: So <laughs> I'll blow my referee whistle here. <laughs> <laughs> Well sometimes it seems like we're on the same journey,
0: but we're on completely different trips.
2: You're having different experiences, and that's okay, because that makes multiple books that you can write about it, doesn't it? Two different stories. Yeah. There we go. There we go. <laughs> well I think what's interesting in your answer is that those stories that you shared, you know, in the in, in the end there, um Had somebody been out for a week, two weeks, a month, those would have been the stories that I would have heard about things going sideways because that would have been the big event. But I think what what comes across there is that you guys have been doing this long enough that those are just little bumps in the road. They're not big stories to tell to you guys because you know how to handle them. You've dealt with them. And it's just like, well, I kind of expect that to happen. So we'll deal with it when, it, when we get there. So that's kind of interesting that you didn't choose those to, to share that the tax man story was the big event. And no doubt, I agree. That is a, <laughs> that is a big event when you're out <laughs> there relying on that bank account.
0: Yeah, well, that's the thing. We decided from the beginning we we're going to do all our own mechanical work, even though we don't have that much mechanical experience. Um, we plan. We, you know, there's contingency plans. We prepare ourselves. We, you know, so there's there's things that you can prepare for, and you always prepare for the worst as well. So when that happens, and but there's something that you can work with and you can get back in control of the situation, yeah, that's fine. You know, like a breakdown in the middle of nowhere, you can drop, stop and roll. You can be calm. You can fix it. Something like your, your bank accounts getting cleaned out and, and you're uh, 10,000 miles away. There's nothing you can do about it. That's, that's, that's serious. Yeah. It hurts.
2: Yeah. Yeah. No doubt. All right. Well, let's wrap it up with. Where you guys are headed next? What are your plans? Obviously, you plan to continue doing this, but I think I saw that you're you're planning to make some changes and some improvements on the, the Land Rover. So, what's down the road?
0: First, uh, the the change to the Land Rover. We, we'd like to uh, change it into a, a live-in um, vehicle uh, with a, We're gonna build a pod uh, and put it on the back. So, take off the tent, take off the rear load areas even take out the back seats i'll put in uh, seat belts with the bench for the kids but basically we're going to make a pod with our own hands uh, out of refrigerator truck paneling uh, whatever we can scrounge together and we're going to build a pod on the back of the vehicle with a pop top so that we can face extreme weather and we can urban camp and we can really uh go much further than what i mean the roof tent has been fantastic but it limits us what we can do in terms of like urban camping and extreme weather. And um, yeah.
3: The thing is, from yeah we plan to um, redo the build uh, in the US or Canada. Um, and then from there, we're heading on over to Europe. And, you know, we'll be arriving there in March, which would be winter in most of the, the countries. So. You know, it's only when we hit the Balkan states that it will be warm enough um, to not warrant having an indoor living area. And then from there across to Asia, and then, well, then we're still open to, yeah, so, to ideas. So, so,
0: yeah. Yeah, so Europe, um, so we'll probably ship to the UK or Ireland, maybe even to mainland Europe. It's all about visas because we've got African passports. I've got a British passport as well, but the rest of the family's only got to African. Um, so visas are a big issue for us. So we want to go down through Europe. I'd love to go to Scandinavia, but I don't know if we'll have time this time around. Go through Turkey, Iran, uh, Pakistan or up around the Stans. I'd love to go to northern Afghanistan if we can. Uh, through India, Nepal, down into Burma, Laos, Thailand, that whole thing. Um, and that's the, uh, that's the next stage, which will probably be a year, year and a half too for us to get from Europe to Southeast Asia.
2: Uh, that's too cool. I can't wait to follow you guys and and watch you on your journey and uh, and be inspired by what it is you guys are doing. So I hope you uh, I hope you keep it up indefinitely and uh, and keep writing books, keep putting stuff out there to inspire the rest of us to do it.
0: Cool. I've really enjoyed talking with you, Travis, as well. So I mean, we can do this again if we're in uh, Turkmenistan and we've got Wi Fi. Uh, <laughs> It would be great to give you a live from the field report. That's
2: well, I would, I would absolutely love that. In fact, I want you to get back to me or I'll watch to see when you do it. I want to hear, uh, hear about your experiences going down through Iran because everybody I talk to or hear from or read about who has gone through Iran, who has had the, the – good fortune to be able to to get into the country he says it's absolutely beautiful. It's like one of the, the most amazing <laughs> countries they visited. So I'm always pretty curious about that because obviously what we get in the news is uh, quite a bit different story. So I'll be interested to hear that. Okay. So I'd love to have you guys back on for sure. Yeah. Fantastic. That's
0: what we've seen everywhere we go is what you see on the ground and what you see in the media are completely different, mm. different creatures. Yeah. So we've had friends who've driven around the world and a few obviously because these are our people and are people who I know have gone through the whole Europe, Asia, et cetera. I always ask them, what is your favorite country? You've been around the world. Not your favorite, but I know it's difficult to answer, but which country really did it for you? And people come back and say, Turkey. So many people came back and said Turkey was absolutely fantastic. Right. So
2: Turkey, Iran, yeah, we're also really looking forward to all that. Well, cool. Definitely let's catch up after you've done that. And I would like to hear about it. So. Cool. All right, guys. Well, it's been awesome talking to you. I appreciate your time on the show. I will, as usual, get your links up there on the uh, the website along with your episode and make it easy for people to go visit you and contact you and find your books. I know I need to get a, get my hands on your books as well because uh, just talking to you and reading about you guys, it is true inspiration and it makes me, uh, me want to get out there and do a little bit of that too. I mean, that's the problem with doing this podcast is I want to do a little bit of everything I talk to people about, but... <laughs> but uh, I think it just sounds awesome. So thanks so much for your time. Yeah. And thank you for having us, Travis. Really appreciate it.
3: Thanks, Travis. It's been awesome.
2: All right. Take care. Cheers. Cheers.